Welcome to Abstract, colon, the future of science. I'm your host, Jeremy Ullman, and today, as always, we are bringing unprecedented accessibility to graduate research. We recorded in the past, you're listening in the present, and we're discussing the future of science. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Abstract. I'm Jeremy Ullman, and today I'm graced by the presence of not one, but two guests. They're co-founders of the mentorship program known as Access Grads, and I've got them right where I want them, here on Abstract. If you've never heard of Access Grads before, that's A-OK, because it's precisely the reason we're here today. Access Grads may well be the future of university mentorship programs. So this is an opportunity for you to invest early. I won't say any more about it for now. What I will do is welcome our guest to the show, Lauren Payton. It's great to have you. How's it going? Really well. How's it going with you? Oh, amazing. Super happy to have you. Glad to hear it. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having us. It is an absolute pleasure. Very excited to hop into it. few weeks waiting to nail down this interview, and we're just going to hop right into it right away. So let's answer the most important question about Access Grads. Whose idea was it? Kind of both of ours, right? It was yeah. pretty similar. I think the initial inspiration actually came from a conversation that I was in with my advisor. You know, we were talking about, you know, it was the first quarter of the first year of grad school. And we were talking about the various ways that, you know, we had the opportunity to make an impact as, as students and the various skills that we wanted to develop. But it was pretty quick that I, I kind of casually mentioned it to Peyton and we, you know, took it from there and, and certainly co-created the program that, that it became. So how did you meet and then get involved in this together? Were you friends or colleagues or classmates or cousins before? <laughs> yeah, we look identical. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we um, we were in the same cohort together. So we were pretty much seeing each other every day, either in classes or studying for quals. And so we had a lot of time to have these these conversations come up. And yeah, like Lauren said, it definitely. I think we had separate ideas about mentorship program, and from these communications together, uh, we came up with it as as a joint effort. Uh huh. I just was, I got so excited to get into chatting with you folks that I forgot to allow yourself to introduce yourself. So you're officially strangers to the listeners. Let's actually yeah. <laughs> rewind a little bit. Uh, Lauren, can you actually start us off? Who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> sure, happy to. That's a great question. So I'm a PhD candidate at uh, UC Santa Barbara in social psychology. My research is kind of diverse. My personal background was actually international relations and not psychology. And so I came into the program with this goal of creating a 360 degree perspective on how individuals integrate their self-concept with their social concept and how that drives various, particularly interstate and political behaviors. And so I've looked at that in terms of passive influence of national ideologies on individuals who either adhere to or do not adhere to those, those ideologies. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I, I have diverse interests and I get easily bored. And so I've also dabbled in projects to diversify the professorate that are gratefully sponsored by the National Science Foundation, um, cool. as well as a project to work on reducing veteran underemployment. So lots of applied and, uh, and interesting ways to explore that relationship between self and other. Excellent. I love that you're into people because we're going to be getting into how that actually influences uh, everything you do with Access Grads. But more mm -hmm. on that in, in a few. Peyton. Who are you? What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, so my name is Payne Small. I'm a social psychologist. I'm finishing up my PhD at UC Santa Barbara. Broadly, I study how people of color cope with race-related prejudice, discrimination, and stressful life events, and how these experiences impact psychological and physical health. In a separate line of work, I examine White's pushback against pro-diversity organizational messages and initiatives, and the downstream consequences this pushback has on people of color in these settings, 
And in, in addition to researching topics related to diversity, I'm deeply committed to the diversification of science and more specifically the field of social psychology, both in terms of who's conducting research and whose perspectives we're interested in when we conduct research. And that's what I'm excited to talk more about uh, with you today on the podcast. Amazing. So more, more detail on human dynamics, intersections, groups, all things that definitely seem closely related to this initiative you've both started. So Access Grads, as far as the listeners are concerned, they don't really know what this is yet. I myself am just a beginner as far as knowledge about Access Grads. A couple of things I want to know right off the bat. Of course, I'd love to know the evolution of the program, but have you had a clear goal for Access Grads from the beginning? And what was that goal? Yeah, that was the first thing that really came together that we were aligned on. And then the, the kind of development was figuring out how to achieve it. But at least from my perspective, you know, I think we had slightly different versions maybe of the same goal is, is the right way to think about it, where I was really fascinated by the opportunity to diversify science, right? This concept that, you know, if we only pay attention to, you know, white cishet voices, then that's the only kind of questions we're going to ask. You know, if you have different life experiences, you're going to have access to a completely different layer of curiosity, you know, a different way of seeing the world, different gaps that you notice that somebody with a different life experience simply wouldn't have access to. And when you're on a university campus, that's pretty hard to ignore the profound whiteness that you're surrounded by. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was really fascinated with that opportunity of creating a more interesting conversation by increasing the diversity of that space and using mentorship to do that. And then I think Peyton was looking at it from kind of the opposite direction a little bit. Yeah. So for me, I was at the very beginning of my grad school career, I was reading a lot of literature that was exploring this kind of persistent educational performance gap between first gen and continuing gen college students. There's this theory, cultural mismatch theory, uh, put forward by Nicole Stevens and colleagues that was really prominent in exploring these gaps. And, and the main idea of this theory is that the university system emphasizes and promotes uh, what they call the independence norm, which is the idea that you know students should be able to express themselves, they should carve their own paths, they should speak up in class, seek out professors. And there are a lot of students that are able to do that, but there's also a lot of students that aren't able to do that. And what I was noticing is that the, the students that were joining our lab as research assistants, they very much fit that mold of they were really loud in class. They spoke up. They were great about talking to professors. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to do was kind of reach out to those students that maybe didn't know that that's how what you were supposed to do, the, the way that the university suggests that that's how you're supposed to get into research labs and succeed in college. And what this mentorship program was about was meeting those students where they were at rather than expecting them to know how to get to where we were. So rather than waiting on students to figure out what they needed to do to get to graduate school, what I was really interested in and focused on with this mentorship program was reaching out to undergrads at all levels and pairing them with graduate students so that they could have access to people who had traveled down the path that they wanted to be on mm -hmm. and meeting them again where they were at rather than waiting for them to figure out the steps that were not necessarily made clear to them. How did you go about finding, recruiting, connecting with people who were maybe quieter, less engaged, less interactive as it is? I know it's very difficult to, to build communities. And so I'm curious to know how that came together for you. What kind of tactics you used? Yeah. So initially, when we first started the program, we relied a lot on our close friends in the program in terms of the graduate students sure. who knew us and liked what we were doing and joined on as a pilot program. In terms of reaching out to undergrads, there was an um, undergraduate club on campus that was really beneficial in our initial outreach. So again, these were students that they weren't necessarily the most outspoken students. They just joined a club because they're interested about psychology. So we were able to kind of capitalize on that and reach students that way from the outset later. And we can talk a little bit later about how our recruitment evolved. But at the outset, we relied a lot on our close friends to get the program started and this club on campus, um, the Society of Undergrad Psychologists 
to reach students that maybe weren't as outspoken or ready to to go out and go talk to a professor at office hours. That's cool. So it started as a club, which seems like a bit more of an informal collaborative environment. How did you make that transition from club to organization to like a a full-blown program? So that's an important clarification, actually. So the undergraduate club was kind of just our partner. So the club evolved at the same time that we did, Mm -hmm. but they're a separate organization. And so they specialized in kind of organizing the undergrads who were just interested in study skills or collaboration or networking within within the major. But we were able to leverage that pre-existing group of individuals to recruit okay. and make known kind of what was available among the grad student population as well. Okay, the club did not turn into the initiative yeah. access grads. <laughs> right. It just helped feed it and allow it to grow off as an exactly. extension. Exactly. Okay, right. that's cool. How many how many branches or chapters of access grads are currently active, and what kind of disciplines are involved? Is, is it just psychology? So far. Yeah. Right now we're the only one, the one and only, um, although we've, we've grown. Yeah. Woo! Um, <laughs> but we've grown really aggressively. And, and so we, we've long talked about how to expand that and whether the best move would be a different university or a different discipline. And frankly, we've just chosen to focus our energies and efforts on expansion in other areas up until now. But, you know, I think Peyton, we've both been thinking about this quite a bit in terms of what to do next. And, and so I know Peyton's thinking about expanding it when he lands at a new university as well. But yeah, right now we're the, we're the one only. Do you think this could be as successful in other disciplines as it has been in psychology? Or do you think there's something special about social psychologists or other psychologists that kind of, uh, maybe they're just on the same wavelength, they connect better, they can mentor and mentee themselves in a more efficient way? Is it, is it limited in that respect? <laughs> no, de- definitely not. I mean, um, even within our field of psychology, it's, you know, we have cognitive psychologists, developmental psychologists, social psychologists, evolutionary psychologists. We also have branched out a little bit to the clinical and school counseling. So that's the most we've done in terms of expansion. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely not something that's limited to just the field of psychology. I think it can definitely expand to other areas. And hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about maybe some of the steps that we have taken that I think very well can generalize to other disciplines uh, for those that are interested in starting their own uh, version of access grads. I was just going to say, I think the only kind of necessary component would be that there's a population of undergrads and there's a population of grad students who have gone Mm -hmm. where the undergrads want to go and that they're interested in finding different ways to collaborate and work together. But I I see no reason why that wouldn't apply to different goals of diversity even. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to structure those kind of relationships to reach various places. So can you run me through the numbers right now? What uh, What is the size of the mentorship roster if i'm yeah. <laughs> i'm guessing peyton has them in front of him knowing my uh my lovely ah no <laughs> he's always the data one um well i think this year we had about 30 mentors which That's is about 50 awesome. percent of the graduate uh, graduates in the department and that was amazing we, yeah we were really proud of of that ratio and then i think there was almost uh, like 80 something uh mentees this year And that's been consistent for last year and this year. We had similar numbers, but it grew probably about 100% a year for the first couple of years getting there. That's great. Actually, I I would imagine that the issue would be in finding graduate students because the the, the ratio is probably like three or five to one, if not more, right? Usually the undergrad programs are a lot larger. So if you want to pair people up, you'll you'll probably have a ton more undergrads. How does does the pairing work? Can we actually maybe talk a bit about how this pairing Mm -hmm. works? Yeah, so um, great point. It was definitely more difficult in terms of numbers to get graduate students, although something that we have done that I think has really helped um, is really just create a department, departmental norm that uh, when you come into our psychology program, you're probably going to be a mentor. It, we've been really successful in getting large uh, majority of our first year students becoming mentors and, and kind of the way that we've said you can get research assistance from this. This is also just what past graduate students have done. It's a great way for you to get involved in the program. So I've had a lot of conversations with 
recruits during recruitment weekend and they know about the program just kind of from word of mouth. So something that has helped us with getting the numbers of grad students that require to match the number of undergrads is definitely just establishing it as a norm of the department is that you join this mentorship mm -hmm. program. That's so cool. I, I love that you got to that level. Like, <laughs> what kind of backing, like what kind of enroll, like how did you enroll the administration to, to kind of agree to that? Is there, is there some kind of newsletter that you, that you shoot out at the beginning of every uh, year or like when people apply to the school, is there like a little asterisk that says you are also signing on to like <laughs> give your life to mentorship? You know, like, no, this is, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, I think I think navigating the administration and the faculty was actually an interesting challenge. You know, I mean, at an R one university, research is going to be you know priorities one through fifty yes. for for the faculty and and the administrators. And so there was a degree in the first couple of years where we were kind of flying under the radar. I think, and you know, we mm -hmm. just kind of had to make sure that we were staying up on our own research production and that we were making it as easy as possible for the mentors to do what they came here to do. I mean, you know, it, it's only fair to honor and respect that they came to grad school with a particular goal of their own also, and they're giving us for free, very limited access to their very small amount of remaining free time. And so we tried to structure the program to make that as easy as possible for them to say yes to. But, you know, we lucked out in that the first year there was a faculty advisor of the undergraduate program, Vanessa Woods, who is just one of those faculty members who's so dedicated to students, so knowledgeable about process and specifically how to navigate that process for effective finding of things like money or opportunity or resources mm -hmm. that can sometimes be difficult in a, in a bureaucracy. But yeah, other than that, the faculty, I think, were aware of it, but it wasn't until it was really well established that there was a... I don't know, broader, like it was only in the last year that we were put on the UCSB Psychology's website directly okay. to link to us. So it took a little bit of time, I think, to to get faculty and administration acceptance. Yeah, I think it's, at least for us, it was important to not get discouraged necessarily if we weren't having the flashing yeah. lights like on the program, like this <laughs> mm -hmm. is the best thing we have. And we were able to, to chug along and, and keep growing the program, even if it was mostly within house, within graduate student, undergrad um, relationships. So I think that's something important to note that it might take some time to get that recognition, but you can still do the work even without all, all the bells and whistles. Um, mm -hmm. and, and Jeremy, you also asked about the pairing process and mm -hmm. um, yeah. that's something that has changed over time from the first years that we did it until now. And I think something early on, we were really trying so hard to make it as easy for the grad students as possible because they were doing it for free and, and it was a time commitment. Mm -hmm. So we originally tried to schedule, uh, pair based on schedule, availability of undergrads and grad students. And yeah. it was a bit of a, 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 a <laughs> lot of hard work for us. It was a little bit of a mess trying to figure out, you know, a hundred people's schedules and matching them up that way. And um, like ultimately it, it, it was. <laughs> and it was ultimately, like an entire day match meeting. It was a nightmare. <laughs> right. And, and ultimately, we scrapped that and, and changed towards matching purely based on research interests and, and backgrounds, which we kept after that time. And so what we did was we would have the undergraduates send in applications. We knew the, the research backgrounds of the graduate students because they were our colleagues. And we would look on the website and, you know, have a list of what the graduate students do. Right. And we would take the applications of the undergrads. We would ask them pretty basic questions about their demographics, their backgrounds, but also what are the top couple of research areas of psychology that you're interested in? And that was kind of the first thing that we would use to start pairing based on interests. We also paired based on other things and we made determinations on what undergrads are going to be a part of the program based on kind of our mission. But the pairing over the last couple of years has been primarily based on the research interests of the undergrads and then the type of research that the graduate student does to really pair what our graduate students are experts in and what our undergrads uh, want to learn more about. 
Yeah. I mean, we also do try to consider to the degree that we can personality fit, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. you know, we get to know the grad students very well. And there are some people who are very extroverted and can engage. And there's others who are a little bit more quiet. And you can get a sense of that, actually, from the applications of the undergrads. And, you know, we start to know these students from classes that we're teaching and mm-hmm. TAing as well. And so we'll try to do our very best to match in a way that is mutually supportive. And it just takes some time. We really work hard at it. You know, we typically will spend a five, six hour meeting with supported by a six pack generally. And, you know, we'll just kind of power through and, you know, we'll trade off and we'll have debates and we'll like really, we'll really work on this to make sure that it's a good nice. fit. Um, and it's fun. I'm glad that you also just kind of shared the process of moving from the scheduling to the research interest. I think that's kind of a logical progression. Uh, Mm -hmm. I also remember back when I was a graduate student and currently now as a graduate student, (laughs) schedules change from week to week, you know, depending on the volume of work that you have, whether you have manuscripts that you got to uh, get ready for publication, etc. So it appears that that's working well for you. And so that's great, actually. So for the listeners, if if you're one of the future uh, progenitors of a new chapter of Access Grads, this can be uh, one of the humps that you can just immediately get mm-hmm. over. I'm curious, though, because we're talking about research and how that factors into the placement process. Lauren, how, how do you think your research on social identity or your interest in human optimization has informed the process of pairing mentors and mentees? Have you had some influence there? That's interesting. Um, I'm not sure that that was a direct contributor, but I can absolutely see where you're going with it. That was maybe influenced by the goal of, you know, going deeper into the personality match because the the value of having a longer term mentorship relationship just compounds exponentially, right? And so when you focus sure. on research interest and personality match, that also facilitates multi-year relationships. And we did allow mentors and mentees to mutually request. So if they've been in the program for multiple years, and they have a relationship that already exists with somebody, they can say that they want to stay with that person. And we've had several opportunities where mentors will stay together for years and even, you know, stay close after they graduate with the people that they're assigned with in the program, which is, you know, a really heartwarming um, layer that's happened. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I've interviewed a handful of people on the show already who have mentioned that, you know, they've, they've completed a master's degree and they are still like buddies with their supervisor, yes. which is it's just me. so awesome. That's just, yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Because in, in grad school, you do kind of develop different relationships with professors. Uh, Very much so. At that, yeah. at that level, and things can get pretty, pretty close. That's, that's <laughs> great. Okay. So what do you think graduate students are best able to help undergraduates with in their academic and even, even their non-academic lives? Hmm. From what you've seen or just from your own intuition about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the biggest thing is just that there are different paths to get to graduate school. Something that I always did the first day that I met with, with my mentees was kind of just talk about my path to, to get into graduate school. And, you know, I would talk about other, I would talk about Lauren's path because I heard her talk about the way that she got to grad school. I would talk about some of my other friends at the programs just to give them first off a picture of, you know, this is where you're at now and you want to be to this place. There's not one direct way to get there. And I think mm-hmm. hearing that from a graduate student holds a lot of weight with these undergrads. Another thing that I think was helpful that I would try to do early on was present them with a day in the life of a graduate student. So I'd walk through like, okay, on Monday, this is what my schedule looks like on Tuesday and tell them, you know, graduate school for me was a lot more flexible in terms of scheduling than undergrad, but there are some other things that are also much different. You know, you don't have deadlines, so you have to be a lot more focused on yourself and make sure, making sure you're holding yourself accountable. And so early on, I would try to just present them with there's multiple paths to get here. When you do get to this spot, this is generally what it might look like. And this is how it's different from undergrad. This is how it's similar. These are some of the challenges. These are some of the, the you know, the great things about it. So from the get-go, I think that's something that 
allowing an undergrad to see those perspectives is, is really beneficial for them. Yeah, and I think similarly, I think we both have talked in a, in a really related way about um, the value of humanizing researchers and grad students and people who are kind of already further down that path. You know, I mean, when I was an undergrad, professors and grad students were gods. I was terrified of them, you mm -hmm. know? And so that really is difficult to imagine yourself in their shoes eventually when you feel like they're just maybe a different form of the species. And that's nice for them that they found their <laughs> path, but I could never possibly fill those shoes, you know? And so, you know, we really wanted to break down that and show ourselves and our humanity. And, and to Peyton's point, you know, make it clear that you don't need to be the straight A student who never does anything wrong. And, you know, what, like that's mm -hmm. not the only path to research. In fact, having a really interesting life and living it in, in whatever way feels true to you might be a better way to contribute to the science, you know? And, and so to kind of follow your heart wherever it takes you and know that that can also connect with what your broader dreams are as well. You know, I mean, we the fact that most grad students apply multiple years before they get into, you know, the program that they want to end up in. Like, true. Why, why don't we talk about that? You know, it's, it's like people hold on to that as a dirty little secret. And yet when you tell that to undergrads, you can see their eyes light up because all of a sudden mm -hmm. they recognize that, you know, there's an imperfect path that can still get them to this really high goal. Yeah, it's not all or nothing. Right. Yep. And sometimes it's okay to strive and fall, right? The stakes do feel high though, you know? Yeah, and I think another thing is a different look at the process, the, the kind of behind the scenes process of doing research. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times for undergrads, unless they're in a research lab, they hear about research findings in a class that they take, and it's a very pristine picture of the, the finished product. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of students don't know the, the making of research and how long it takes and, you know, the putting together a survey, the coding data, all those things, unless you're in a research lab. As an undergrad, you might know, I want to do this thing called research, and I know it on the finished product looks really cool, and I get to, it gets featured in a textbook, but I don't actually know how to do that. So getting to just talk casually with a graduate student, and I would talk with my, with my mentees and tell them at what stage of the process I was in and what were the, the trials and tribulations of that. So I think that's another thing that this one-on-one -on -one mentorship program allowed undergrads to see. Yeah, I think I would have benefited tremendously from having a program like this when I was an undergrad. I know that I went into my first master's degree with very a very poor idea of what what actually was to be completed in order to actually get a thesis, and I ended up withdrawing from the program because yeah. I realized halfway through I was like, I am I am not ready for this. Yeah. This is this is, this is not what I wanted, right? And I could see how for some people it's like a match made in heaven. Mm -hmm. graduate student and graduate school it just mm -hmm. it just works and that's the beauty of it i find it's, it's almost quite divisive actually some people love it and some people mm -hmm. are just like please opposite direction yeah and, and you know for everybody's sake the sooner you can identify that the better you know i mean if if your best value is being you know the world's best podcast host talking about research then the sooner you find yourself on that path the better you know for everybody involved we're working towards that exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah working on it every day you learn a little bit more there you go um, that's the right attitude now that we're kind of talking about like mentor-mentee relationships, I'm curious to know, like, could you guys tell me a bit about your like most memorable, best mentor-mentee relationship that you ever had, whether through Access Grads or elsewhere? That's a great question. Yeah, uh, that is a really good question. Um, I would say for me, so I was an undergrad at UC Santa Cruz, go slugs, have to put that in anytime <laughs> I'm going to talk to people. <laughs> I'm definitely going to cut that out. <laughs> yeah. That's the right decision. Slugs. Yeah. Slugs. Go slugs. <laughs> go slugs. And so I was very lucky because my path getting into research, I didn't know anything about research. I didn't have anybody who had done that path beforehand. So I think I see myself in a lot of these students that were trying to recruit into our program. I was lucky that I 
did well and sat in the front of a class and was just a bookworm and, and a professor noticed that I was there and did well and, and reached out to me and, and asked if I wanted to do research. Again, I didn't know what that meant, but he took a big chance on me and that was really my first chance of getting into research and knowing how to do it. And so that his name is Benjamin Storm. He's at UC Santa Cruz still. And so he was the, the best mentor I had because he really introduced me to science and, and doing research. And so again, that's, I, I was very lucky in, in that process. And I know that's not how a lot of students were able to get in. So I think that also pushed me towards wanting to make this program and, and reach out to students the way that he reached out to me. Right. Yeah. You wanted to kind of create more of those opportunities that you realize you were very lucky to have had. Right. That's yeah. great. And I mean, I had almost the opposite experience. I, I had sort of a dearth of, of valuable mentorship growing up. And I recognized the loss of that. You know, I, I saw how beneficial it was to other people who were able to form those relationships and, and really find that that resonance with somebody who is on the same path as you. And and I don't think it's a it's a success or a failure, but it's a lot of luck to find somebody who who you just really vibe with and can align with in that way. And it wasn't until much later when I was kind of casting about on my own for a while and I, I finally had been working for a while and I decided I wanted to come back to grad school that I was just networking for ideas and I reached out to a family friend, um, Mary Murphy, who's a social psychologist at Indiana University who does incredible work, fascinating human. And she had just been, she had been a renter in a building that my family owned in Chicago for a long time. And so we just knew them <laughs> so personally. Funny. I had no idea what she did or the impact of it. It just wasn't related. And when I was talking to her about my interests, she was the first one who said, you know, these are social psychological questions. Maybe you should consider being a social psychologist. And I was like, what? Like, it, it, like she introduced the entire concept to me through that uh -huh. single conversation. And, and so the role is just impossible to overestimate. Wow. You never know who it's going to be, too. Right. You really mm -hmm. never know. There are some people that I find I know to a certain degree. And then years later, whether it's like just over a random lunch or finding them in a different context... I, I learned something about them that I had no idea. Yeah. And it just totally morphs the relationship and brings it to another level. Um, yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. And the fact that you're kind of manufacturing that within the confines of a department in a university is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So not everything's beautiful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what would you say worked really well? And on the flip side, what were some challenges that you faced in creating and growing access grads to what it is today? We just talk about a few things. Mm -hmm. Highlights here. Highlights and lowlights. So I think one thing that worked out well, I guess, was having a one-year commitment mm -hmm. between mentors and mentees. So both knew going into this, like this is a long-term relationship. You guys got to both put in the work for it. That's something that I think we did from the beginning and, and kept throughout that worked really well for us. I mentioned the way that we paired as something that didn't go that well in terms of pairing based on scheduling. Um, I think something that we would have liked to do more of is have more events that were specific for mentors. Most of the events that we did were, you know, geared towards um, providing extra resources for mentees, which were really, really great. But having more training about how to be a good mentor and those types of events or even just team building uh, type events would have been something we would have liked to do more of, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the other, the thing that I would have maybe taken seriously more sooner, hopefully, um, is the benefit of money. I mean, getting money and, and having there be, you know, additional support to solidify the program, I think is, you know, there were opportunities that we had conversations with earlier on with Vanessa Woods, who is our, our faculty advisor um, that I mentioned earlier, who, you know, suggested various pockets. I mean, universities are full of cash for student groups Flush. specifically related to diversity initiatives, <laughs> you know. Sure. And we were just always so busy when those opportunities presented themselves. And so we didn't really go for extra funding from the university until later in the program. And I don't know that that would have necessarily made a huge change, but it could have made some change and it would have been interesting to pursue that and try it earlier. 
I think that's a great point also just for someone looking to start any initiative within their university. It doesn't need to be right. a mentorship mm -hmm. program. It could be literally anything. Finding the sources of funding should, should be a priority based on what you're saying. Right, right. Because yeah. it would have been super helpful. And sorry, I think one other thing that's important to put out there is we did start sculpting a more rigid-ish application process uh, to mm -hmm. kind of filter out uh, mentees that were applying. And I think that something that would have been great in addition to having a, a more rigid application that made sure that these were students that were interested in grad school was providing some sort of information booth or, or info session uh, to talk to these students about what graduate school is um, as a way to say, you know, maybe this isn't something that's for you. Or we had a lot of students that really wanted to be in clinical and that wasn't something that we had specialized in until uh until later. Mm -hmm. And so having something that happened before we had applications come in would have helped because we, again, we got so many applications and it's really hard to weed through like, okay, who are the students that we think will be a good match with a mentor? Who are students that think they want to do research, but don't know enough about it to know that that's what they do or don't want to do. So I would suggest uh, for people that want to start a program similar to this is to have some sort of information center or session to talk to potential mentees about what it is that this program does and what is research specifically to see mm -hmm. if that's something they're really interested in. Yeah, because despite our best efforts, there was always one or two students at least every year who got through who, you know, in their first meeting with the mentor, their first question was, well, what is grad school? You know, and, and at that mm -hmm. point, you know, that's fine. That's clearly a person who needs assistance and mentorship and figuring out their path. And, and so that's fine. But, you know, that might have been a spot that we would have given to somebody who was more dedicated to that path already. I see. You know what I mean? Right. If you're going to have a grad student give up some time throughout a year of their life, you want them to be kind of mentoring someone who's going to fill exactly. their shoes to a certain degree. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Much like a supervisor would want to take on a graduate student who's not like, what's graduate school? Yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit, uh, me, a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I apologize in advance to everybody who was wronged by my presence in graduate school <laughs> the first time around. Uh, whoopsie daisy, we all make mistakes, but that's yeah. okay. We're still here. <laughs> so... One of my one of my main goals in having you both on the show today was for you to speak directly to the listeners, right? 75% of whom are students themselves and potential coordinators of future mm -hmm. access grads programs at their own universities. So to anybody listening right now thinking, hey, this is a great initiative. How can I get involved? You know, what can I do right now to get the ball rolling? Maybe start up my own chapter of access grads in my own school. What are your guiding and parting words for them? I mean, the first thing that I would say is, you know, we'd love to, to consult on that. So if there is anybody who's curious about doing something in their own, you know, organization, one of our big goals is figuring out how to make that work and, you know, maybe even eventually creating an organization where we can provide that in, in supporting services that are just easily accessible. But as we're figuring that out, if there's anybody who's interested in this, you know, feel free to reach out to Peyton or I, and, and we'd be more than happy to have conversations. You know, surprisingly, easy. I mean, looking back on it in preparation for this conversation, we, we had a we had a meeting, the two of us, and we're really, I found it really rewarding to go through the amount that we actually did, right, and yeah. review the skills that we developed and the, you know, goals that we set and reached and blew through and then, you know, reached new ones. And so having that as part of the grad school experience, I think, adds so many additional skills, but also just a sense of personal empowerment that you can create something for yourself in the world. And it doesn't have to be kind of waiting for permission in a way that a lot of academia is structured for grants, for approvals, for, you know, ethics boards, you know, there's just all of these layers of like getting other people to say yes. And I found it really empowering to have this opportunity where we could just create something of our own that would give back and then carry that forward. You know, I mean, going into jobs, wherever we end up, 
those are skills that we wouldn't have picked up otherwise. You know, leadership, uh, partnership over many years and figuring out how to manage that relationship. Um, you know, testing different opportunities and what works and what doesn't. Um, and so we would love to share what we've learned through the process of that with people who might want to do this on their own and and kind of see how it works in smaller organizations or mm -hmm. in different disciplines or, you know, any goal that people might have that they think a program like this would support, I think would be really, really interesting to see it spread. Yeah, and I guess a couple of uh, specific logistical things just to, to get started is finding a partner. Um, yeah. I think this is not a one-person job. Um, two people is the minimum, even more I think would be better, but Lauren and I did work out a really good system where I focused a lot on the undergrads and the mentees, and Lauren focused a lot on the graduate students and the, the mentors in terms of communication, and that worked really well for us. Interesting. I would also say... Yeah, trying to find a faculty member from the get-go was also really helpful mm -hmm. for us. Uh, even if it's just one, we really had Vanessa was our main faculty support throughout the entire process. Something that we developed later on that would have been nice to have at the beginning is a website. Uh, we've had two great graduate students, Katie Walter and Laura Pritchett, uh, who are going to be taking over for us. And they came on and have provided a spark of, of new ideas, and one of which was um, a great website and an email address that just made us feel a little bit more formal and it became a great spot and a hub for um, people to go and for us to po post events on. So those are some of the more logistical things. But like Lauren said, we're totally open to, you know, having conversations with people, especially when they're in the outset. I think early on, you know, having an idea of what your mission is for the program is super, super important. We had a clear mission from the very beginning that we were able to keep going for five or so years. So coming in clear eyed is, is going to be the best way to have success in this. So if talking to us about that is going to help you do that, please reach out. After listening to this interview, I hope everybody realizes how much fun it is to talk with you folks. So <laughs> you should be inundated, inundated with, with, with phone calls. Your fax machine's going to be ringing fax off the Fax machine? Hook. Come on. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what kind of Get my beeper out of, uh, out of the closet somewhere. Yeah. No, but, but seriously, this I think it's really important. I'm going to put uh, your emails. And you said there's also an email for Access Grads, like specifically? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we, yes. can, we can get that in there. We'll put the website in the show notes so okay. that all the information Perfect. is there and we can discuss afterwards if there's anything else that I might have missed. Yeah, that'd be really great. Perfect. That's awesome. It has been an absolute pleasure having you both on here for a, a very different kind of abstract episode, not directly diving into a single person's research, but two people's creation slightly outside of the normal research focus. And I know earlier you said, you know, graduate students have dozens of different things to focus on, most of which are related to their research. And so I think it's a beautiful example of the opportunity that graduate students have while they're in graduate school to engage in something outside of just that pure research focus to make the experience that much more rich and mm -hmm. filling and ditto for undergrads. So I really appreciate you sharing this with me and with the listeners. And I just hope to see access grads spread far and wide. We're right there with you. And I, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you reaching out and, and allowing us this opportunity, this platform to talk about our baby. It's uh, it's the legacy that I'm certainly the most proud of from grad school. And, um, you know, I'm just really grateful to, to be able to have a chance to connect as part of that. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeremy. I really appreciate talking with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you both. Have an awesome rest of your day, and I'm sure we will stay in touch. Yes, please. See you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out at AbstractCast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast at gmail.com. 
This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts. So feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy.